As we begin this morning, I want to take you back. I want to take you back in time. I want to take you way back. I mean, almost as far back as we can go, not quite, but certainly an ancient time. I want you to envision a 75-year-old man, an older man, and his wife. They're living in the ancient lands of Mesopotamia, ways from here, across uh, the Atlantic. And out of the blue, quite suddenly, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one true God, speaks to this man. And his message is many-fold. He tells him to get up and go from his country, his homeland, where his family lives, to a land that he will be shown. God tells this older man, that a great nation will come from him. He says that he, God, will bless this man and make his name great. That through him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That to his offspring, God will give a special land. Many promises made by God quite suddenly to this older man. And his name, of course, is Abram. And God would soon change change His name from Abram to Abraham. And God's choosing of Abraham, way back when, in Genesis chapter 12, forever changes the course of history. And that includes us, you and me. And we're going to talk a little more about that later. But just prepare to be amazed. Not by this presentation, not by my words, but by the plan of God that we will witness together this morning as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Why does God choose Abraham? Why does God pick him? Well, there are several reasons we might come up with. Maybe God chooses Abraham because of his faith. We know from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed that what God was telling him would come to pass. He was a man of faith. Maybe God chose him because of his prominence and his resources. Abraham wasn't just some nobody wandering around the wilderness. Abraham was very rich in gold and silver and livestock. He had a lot of resources, a a big family, a lot of servants. This was a prominent man. Maybe God chose Abraham because of his willingness to, to obey. When God says go, Abraham went. He obeys God. God directs him to leave his homeland and Abraham does not hesitate to do what God tells him to do. So maybe these were factors in God's decision to pick Abraham to be the recipient of some very special promises, to be the father of a great nation. But the main reason that God chooses Abraham He wants to. Because he wants to. Now maybe that reason is not quite as inspiring as the others that we talked about. Maybe that reason doesn't make us as humans feel as special as we might feel if we think Abraham was chosen because of something within himself, his own talents or abilities or resources. The reason that God picks Abraham, well... It's quite mysterious to us, and we may not be able to understand it. And the best that we can do is just to simply say, 
Because that's what God wanted to do. And because He is God, He can do what He wants. And that's one thing that we mean when we talk about sovereignty. Sovereignty. And that's our word for today. That's our one word. It's the word the sermon's about today. It's the word you'll be reading about this next week. And I'll be honest with you, it is not a word that I use very often uh, in sermons. If you were to go back and listen to my sermons online over the past year, not that you would ever want to do that, but I bet if you were to go through and count up the times that you, that you heard the word sovereign or sovereignty, I doubt that it's very many. I don't use it a lot in my sermons or in my classes. It, it doesn't sort of cross through my mind when I'm studying. I don't know exactly why that is, but I do recognize that at least in myself and my own life of faith, this is a neglected word, this is a neglected idea. The psalmist in Psalm 103.19 speaks to God's sovereignty. He says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. In the movie The Lion King, the king Mufasa takes his young cub Simba who would one day be king. And he tells him to look over the land and he says, Everything the light touches is part of our kingdom. It will belong to you. And God's kingdom, of course, extends well beyond that kingdom, there is no place in the universe over which God rule, God's rule does not extend. God reigns over everything. He is sovereign. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to God. And the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. So not just the world, but the inhabitants of the world. We all belong to a sovereign God. He is a king who reigns and rules over everything that we see, everything that we can think of. And because he's sovereign, God's going to do what God's going to do. If he wants to pick Abraham out of all those people in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, and if God hadn't picked Abraham, Abraham and Sarah would be lost to the dust of that ancient land just like everybody else was. But for some reason... Our sovereign God chose this man through which to fulfill the most significant promises that he ever made. If God wants to do something, he can do it. And he's going to do it. Psalm 115.3 speaks to this. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. Now, if you're talking about a human doing all that he or she pleases, that often is bad news. When I was a kid, there was a little girl who lived across the street from us. She was just a mean little girl. She was a redhead. She, not that redheads are mean, by the way. I'm just, just, I'm just describing her, okay? Those are not related. She was a redhead. Uh, her name was Jamie, and uh, she, was, she reminded me of Margaret from Dennis the Menace. You know, you know who I'm talking about, little Margaret? That was our neighborhood, Margaret, was Jamie across the street. But for whatever reason, sometimes I would go over to Jamie's house and play with her in the basement with her toys and her dolls and stuff. I doubt she had any boy toys, but, you know, whatever. I guess I was over there playing with Barbies. But we would play for a while, and then Jamie would say, it's time to clean up. And we would start cleaning up the toys, but then she'd pull out a broom 
And she'd pull out other cleaning supplies and she'd have me doing jobs down there, cleaning up messes that I didn't even make. She did what she pleased. She thought she ruled with an iron fist. And I went along with it for a while until I had enough. I threw the broom down and I was out of there because she wasn't my boss. But she was a little girl who did what she pleased. And that was not good news for me, who she tried to make her servant. We can think of many throughout history, many dictators and tyrants. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Saddam Hussein, they did what they pleased. And the results were horrific. Countless lives lost at the hands of these tyrants. This nation, as you know, if you know a little bit about American history, was founded because our ancestors could no longer tolerate the rule of a controlling king. So we declared our independence from a king who did what he pleased. And we said enough is enough. That old phrase, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, that is true. And that can be applied to everybody on the face of this earth, but it cannot be applied to God. God is the only one who can be trusted with absolute power. God is the only one for whom can be said He does what He pleases, and it's good news. We can trust God as our sovereign Lord and King. It's always good news. The King who reigns over all of us and all that is in our universe, He can be trusted when he says he does what he pleases. God comes and quite inexplicably chooses Abraham. And he makes several big promises to him, including the promise of offspring. And these promises are repeated in Genesis chapter 17. I want to read a couple verses to you. They'll be up here on the screen. Genesis 17, 7 and 8. Listen to God. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. After you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. So, you see how the promise of offspring is sort of at the root of all the rest of the promises that God makes to Abraham. Verse 8, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, the promised land, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The promise of offspring. Now that is especially significant. Why? Because Abraham's wife, also an older lady, Sarah, is barren. And that is the very first thing that we learn about Sarah. When she is introduced in the Scriptures, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, the author of Genesis is sure to tell us that Sarah is unable to have children. She's barren. And so, what, what in the world is God talking about when He says, I will not only bless you, but your offspring after you, and through your offspring, I will be a blessing to the nations, and I will give to your offspring the promised land. How does God intend to do that when Sarah is barren? This older couple who's who has never had children and never will. Well, that's something else that we mean when we talk about God's sovereignty. We mean that when God makes a promise, He's going to keep it. God, makes, God keeps every promise that He makes, no matter what. Now, I bet you can think of a promise that you made to someone 
Maybe you intended to keep it. And you wanted to do everything in your power in order to keep it. But you just couldn't. Or maybe you made a promise to somebody and you really didn't have any intention of keeping it in the first place. Maybe somebody made a promise to you, and I'm talking about big and small promises. They made a promise to you, but they didn't deliver. They didn't keep that promise. We as broken humans make promises that we cannot keep. And sometimes that we do not keep willfully. We can never say that of God. Every promise that God makes, He will make good on that promise. He will keep it. Because He's sovereign, God is not only going to do what God's going to do, and sometimes we don't understand why God does what He does, but because He is sovereign, because He does as He pleases, He's going to do what He's going to do. But something else we mean by sovereignty, by this idea of God's kingly rule and reign, is that God's going to do what God said He would do. Every time, always, God's going to keep His promises. God will fulfill His will, even if that means doing what is humanly impossible. And for Sarah to have a child, that is humanly impossible. The Scriptures tell us, for whatever medical reason, she's barren, she's childless. And Abraham and Sarah had long since given up the prospect of having a family, of having children. And then, lo and behold, God comes along, His voice booms out of heaven quite suddenly, and says, I've got some special news for you, Abraham and Sarah. You're going to enjoy offspring. And i got big plans for your offspring. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through your offspring. God, in order to keep His promises... God will do what is humanly impossible. He fulfills the promise of offspring through the son of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, in Genesis chapter 21. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and they multiply into the 12 tribes of Israel. And that is the next phase of the fulfillment of God's promise of offspring. You've got Isaac And then you've got a whole nation that comes through this bloodline and they collectively are God's offspring. But then, 2,000 years after the time of Abraham, and so if you think about the time that has passed since Jesus walked the earth is the same amount of time when Jesus was on earth as when Abraham walked the earth. So, 2,000 years ago was when Jesus arrived. 2,000 years before that is when Abraham was alive. Just to give you a big picture here. In our New Testament, 2,000 years after Abraham, Paul reveals something to us that should be a a mind-blowing truth. Something amazing. And that is that God had not, not yet completely fulfilled the offspring promise until Jesus arrived. What he reveals to us is unbelievable. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says says this, the promises that were made to Abraham, and we've talked about these promises, and we've seen these back in Genesis, and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, 
but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So do you understand what Paul is saying here to the church? To the churches in the region of Galatia? He's saying that all the way back in Genesis 12, when God makes these promises to Abraham regarding his offspring, God in his mind knew that Jesus Christ would be the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of offspring. Now that's incredible. That God's plan has been in place from the time of Abraham and has only been recently revealed to humans. That's what Paul says. What an amazing God that we serve. And what further proof do you need that nothing, nothing, nothing will stop our sovereign God, the one who rules over heaven and earth, Nothing can stop him from accomplishing his will. Not time. Two millennia passed before God ultimately fulfilled this promise of offspring. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment to the promise of offspring that God made to Abraham. And if we were alive then, shortly before the time of Christ, and we knew that God had not yet fulfilled this promise, we would probably think, well, God is never going to fulfill this promise because of how much time has passed. We'd think, okay, well, God has forgotten or God wasn't serious in the first place or He's given up because who waits 2,000 years in order to fulfill a promise that He made? God does. When God makes a promise, our sovereign God intends and will keep that promise no matter what, time won't stop him. Not the passage of time. Not human errors or weaknesses. Have you ever looked in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, starting in verse 1, and looking at that genealogy? You know, Christ is the descendant of Abraham by blood. And so he's the ultimate offspring. He's related to Abraham going all the way back through his earthly father, Joseph. And in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew begins his gospel by tracing the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And when you look at some of the folks in that genealogy, this is not a hall of fame of the the best behaved people in history. Have you seen some of these folks in here? Well, there's Judah. And we sometimes wonder, why did the bloodline pass, not through Joseph, who gets a lot of coverage in Genesis, but instead through his brother Judah? Judah, who at the very least was complicit in tossing his brother Joseph into the pit to be killed or to be carted off into slavery, Judah makes it into the bloodline, into the genealogy which connects, which connects Abraham to Christ. Who else makes it in? Rahab, the prostitute. Ruth, the foreigner. David, the great king who was certainly a man after God's own heart, but who committed adultery and who covered up, uh, who arranged for for the murder of a man and covered it up and lied about it. David. And then Solomon, who is the son of David and the woman with whom he committed adultery, Bathsheba. And Solomon, although a wise man, he had a problem with, the ladies, as you may remember, had a, quite a collection of wives and concubines. These are the types of people that we see in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so, 
will human errors, will human weaknesses stop God from being sovereign, from directing history to His glory? Will it prevent Him from fulfilling His promises? No. God is going to satisfy His promises no matter what. Enemies aren't going to stop Him. Think about all the enemies that we read about on the pages of the Scriptures that afflicted God's people. The Philistines, they're not going to stop Him. The Canaanites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, none of those enemies of God's people and of God Himself are going to prevent God from keeping His promises. Our sovereign God is going to make good on His Word. And not even godless laws. Remember when... King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that all people bow down before a golden image that he had made, including those three brave young men of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'd think a law like that would stamp out all the believers of the one true God. Nope. You'd think a law like that would prevent God from fulfilling the great promises that he made hundreds of years ago to Abraham. Nope. That's not going to stop God either. God, in order to fulfill His promises, our sovereign God, He's going to make a way out of no way if He has to, in order to keep His word. And if we believe that, if that's the God that we worship, and it is, right? But if it is, I keep wondering why there seems to be so much anxiety in the church today. While there seems to be a lot of fear and not a lot of bold faith, while there seem to be so many people in the church today who worship and serve this God, who obsess over leaders in our government, who's in charge, who's in Congress, who's president, we worry about the laws that are passed, We worry about who's got the political power. Now, I'm not saying that we Christians shouldn't be civic-minded and that we shouldn't work for the welfare of the land in which God has placed us. But some of us get so caught up in worry and anxiety, we work ourselves into such a lather over political power and laws and leaders in, in such a way that it betrays our faith. And to people on the outside looking in, they see people who are not relying on a sovereign God and who are not trusting in a God who has said, I will never make a promise that I will not fulfill. We're caught up in fear and worry. Listen, I know that we should be concerned about laws that run contrary and are a direct threat to the Christian faith and to religious freedom. But do we or do we not serve a sovereign God? Do we or do we not serve a God who will... Keep every promise that He makes. Do we or do we not serve a God who is in charge and will forevermore be of heaven and earth? If we do, and we do, by the way, then we ought to have a little bit more faith and a little less fear and a little less anxiety because God is in charge. God is in control. God is directing history to His glory and to our good and there's nothing, nothing, nothing that anybody can do to stop our God from doing what He said He would. Our God is sovereign. Let's believe it. Let's live like we believe it. Let's have faith in that God whom we serve.
There's one more thing about the promise of offspring that you need to know. And that is, it extends to you. By faith in Christ, Paul says, you become Abraham's offspring as well. And as Abraham's offspring, you are now heirs according to the promises that were made to Abraham back in ancient times in dusty Mesopotamia. We are all connected. We are part of God's family through Christ connected to our father Abraham. Isn't it amazing how our sovereign God works? His plan for his believers? How we are part of the fulfillment of the promises that he made to that man who would otherwise be lost to history were it not for God's selection of him? We are part of God's family. Through Christ, we are children of Abraham and Sarah. And if children, we are heirs. We are recipients of the blessings that our Father God wants to rain down upon us. And what has our sovereign God promised His heirs? He's promised us such things as citizenship in an unshakable kingdom, as the author of Hebrews says, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that cannot be affected by anything that happens in in this world, a kingdom that cannot be rocked no matter how many wars or or, uh, uh, disasters that occur. The kingdom is solid. And we are members in a church that will withstand even the very powers of hell, according to Jesus. In Matthew 16, 18. Because we are heirs of God, we enjoy these blessings. And therefore, we can rest easy. And listen, resting easy doesn't mean we stop working. Resting easy doesn't mean we kick up our feet and wait for Jesus to come back so He can take us off to heaven. No, we've got a job to do. We've got to put our hands to the plow and not look back. But we do so with the peace and the assurance that God is going to fulfill His promises that He made. We can rest easy knowing that God will do what He said He would. Abraham believed it. Our father Abraham, according to Paul in Romans chapter 4, was fully convinced that God was able to do what He promised. Are we going to be children of Abraham? Are we going to reflect the faith of our Father? As those who fully are convinced that God is able to do what He promised, do you believe it? That God is able? That He's going to fulfill His promises? Abraham believed it, so should we. Our sovereign God is ruling wisely and justly and well, and it's good news when we hear from the psalmist that He does all that He pleases. That is good news. He is directing history for His glory. And for our good. When South Africa was in the deepest, darkest days of apartheid, which was their system of racial segregation in that, in that country, government officials shut down a political rally for those who were opposed to racial discrimination and segregation. Desmond Tutu, one of the leaders of the rally, a religious leader in South Africa, declared that he would hold a church service instead. Instead of the political rally... So people came together and they filled St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town. Outside the cathedral, police, hundreds of them, gathered 
a show of force intended to intimidate the ones who had gathered. And as Desmond Tutu was preaching, officers, and I just imagine this, they entered the cathedral, they lined the walls of the church, armed with weapons. Some had notebooks in hand in order to write down the words of the message. Now, if I'm the one preaching, I'm starting to shake in my boots a little bit. I'm starting to get a little nervous. The government has come to watch. But Desmond Tutu would not be intimidated. He preached against the evils of apartheid. He declared that it could not endure. And at one point as he was preaching, he addressed the police directly, lining the walls. He said, you are powerful. You are very powerful. But you are not gods. And I serve a God who cannot be mocked. So since you've already lost, since you've already lost, I invite you today to come and join the winning side. And the whole place erupted in song. The police didn't know what to do. Their attempts at intimidation failed. Overcome by this preacher's confidence that his sovereign God would triumph over evil. And it was but a matter of time until apartheid was dead. This morning, the invitation, God's invitation, is for you to come and give your life to Him. The One who rules over all. The One who always keeps His promises. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to submit your life to Jesus Christ by confessing His name, by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? We would love for you to do that today. Most importantly, God is eager for you to do that. Are you struggling spiritually? Have you hit, uh, have you run into a rut? You just feel like you need a shot in the arm? You feel like you're not serving God with the same level of excitement and zeal as you once did? i tell you what could help. The prayers of this body of believers will be the shot in your arm that you need. Uh, or if you feel that you have so gone astray that you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ as His disciple today, then this is a time for you to do that as well. If there's a spiritual need, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.